Can I say something controversial? Is that okay? I mean, I have this microphone. I'm already here, so I might as well. You ready for it? Jesus Christ is Lord. You all said amen. There weren't any gasps. Nobody said, nobody fainted from shock of saying like, wait, what did he just say? And that's a problem. We have tamed our faith. We have domesticated it. That is the most shocking claim in all of the world. It is the claim for which so many Christians shed their blood. See, we think that the reason why Christians are attacked is social issues. Because there are so many hot-button issues out there, and we are almost constantly at odds with the world about this or that or this other thing, and we think that that's what it's all about. But it isn't. No, the most shocking claim is the one that undergirds all of our social teaching. It is the one that gives a reason for us to congregate. It is the purpose of our religion, which is that we know who God is. We know the truth that He has revealed. We know that He is not just one God among many. He is not just some cleverly concocted myth. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And He changes everything. Friends, it's not just a bunch of different culture battles out there. No, we have the truth that Jesus Christ is God. That this God took on human flesh, entered into the human condition all the way to death, so that he could rise and invite us to eternal life. And we treat that as if it's just a pious platitude. We could go out there and proclaim Jesus Christ as Lord and people say like, oh yeah, cool, alright, that's cute. Now go on and do your religion thing over there. And that's a problem. That statement, Jesus Christ is Lord, should be something that we live out in such a profound and radical way that it feels like a rebellion. Because that is a rebellious statement. That is a statement that should make the powers of this earth tremble because they are to be dethroned for the true king to be able to reign. Now, I'm not calling us to arms to kind of start some kind of weird, violent commune. What I'm saying is that we need to allow Jesus Christ to truly reign in our lives and that that is the entire point of religion. Because very often when we look at the the beautiful summation of the entire law that we got in today's gospel, we focus on the second part and not the first one. If I were to ask you, what is the point of religion? Many of you would probably say, doing good to others. To which I would say, eh. Doing good to others is great, but that's not the point of religion. You don't need religion for that. That, in fact, is written on the human heart. It's written into the human brain. In fact, we get similar uh, reactions in our brain from doing good to others, from altruistic behavior, as we get from food and other pleasures like that. Right? Some of our deepest drives lead us to do good. Religion's about more than that. Religion is about not just doing good to others, 
but being in communion with goodness himself. And we have this radical claim when it comes to religion that we know the fullness of truth. That should be a radical claim. Because we don't believe in this pantheon of gods and different religions that are all so many myths that are just there to be moral tales to help us to do good. No, it's not like Jesus is right up there with Thor and Zeus and Bacchus and all these other ones and he just happens to be the one that we like more. No, our claim is that while every other religion was reaching out to God and so it had some goodness there, it was the human nature trying to see order within creation and, and trying to reach out for some kind of meaning, some, some kind of connection to the Creator. Christianity, and specifically the Catholic faith, is that Creator reaching back in Jesus Christ. When we say Jesus Christ is Lord, we don't just mean Jesus Christ was a good example. We say Jesus Christ is the second person of the Holy Trinity. That means God, who has forever existed, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that family of love, did not need creation. But the Holy Trinity decided to create. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit freely chose to create out of love. And in this vast universe that is so beautiful and awesome, but then intricate in the smallest details, That whole universe, all of that creation, is crowned by at least one created being that is made in the image and likeness of God himself. You know what that being is? You. You are the crown of all creation. Isn't that awesome? That God made you in his image and likeness, but in order to be in his image and likeness, he had to make you free. Free to accept or reject him, to love him or to hate him. Because you cannot be in the image of the free God without being free yourself. And that freedom is a terrifying thing because we can use it to reject the one for whom we were made. And in fact, that's what we did. And God could have left it at that. He could have said, okay, failed experiment. These people are very dumb. I'm just going to make them go poof. And instead of making us go poof, Or just saying, I'm going to let it play out, but I've got a golf game to get to. And just like leaving us be. No, he immediately entered into relationship with us. And through his prophets in Israel, he slowly wanted to bring back all of humanity with the starting point there. While all of the religions were reaching up to him, he was reaching down through the prophets and saying, I want you to know me. I want you to know my love. And so first he said, I'm your creator. Cool. Okay, I'm your master. Cool. More than your master, I'm actually your father. And little by little, they were able to get a more accurate understanding of who God is until they were ready. And then God himself stepped onto the scene. That's the radical truth that we proclaim. That this isn't one of the myths where Zeus came down and was busy with somebody and now we have a half God. Like, no, no, no. This is... The radical truth of Christianity. That God actually entered into history. Not a long, long time ago in a galaxy far away, but at a specific time, in a specific place. 2,000 years ago in Israel, Palestine. That God became one of us. Entered into death, passed through death, and rose from the dead. Opening up for us the gates of eternal life. 
That is our message. Why don't we proclaim it? See, that's the biggest problem. Is that once we started thinking religion was just about, you know, your flavor of whatever gets you to do good for others, we stopped proclaiming the actual point of religion, which is how to reconcile you to God. How to have you know who God is and be in communion with Him. The effect of which is that you become more like Him and become more loving to other people. And that you realize that through loving other people, you can love Him. The point is always, and always has been, and ever shall be, love of God first. Love of neighbor flowing from that. And how do we love our neighbor best? By sharing with them how to love God truly. We have that beautiful parable of the Good Samaritan today. And too often, we read that tale as just one other moralizing tale by a moral teacher. Some hippie in sandals that told us that we need to be good to each other. And that's all that we treat Jesus as. Instead of realizing, this is God Himself. This is the way, the truth, and the life. Through whom, and only through whom, we have salvation. Instead, we think like, oh, this is our version of Buddha. So, you know, he just teaches us how to be peaceful. No, no, these are the words of salvation. And as he tells us this parable, he's not just telling us this is what you should do. He's also telling us this is what I have done. Some of the church fathers recognized in the parable of the Good Samaritan not just what we should do, but what God already did for us. Right? The victim of the robbers is fallen humanity. That man who was robbed and left for dead is each and every one of us who has suffered from the powers of this world, stripping us of our dignity as God's children, right? Leaving us there in this state of feeling meaningless, of thinking, does my life even have a purpose? Of feeling that there are all these standards that the world holds up and I fall short of every single one of them. And we're left there for dead. Because the world says all you have is a couple decades, or not a couple, a few, uh, several decades, and then, then you're done. Right? And, and that's all that you're ever going to have is just an illusion of happiness for a few years. And Jesus, the Good Samaritan, the one who was other, who had no reason to come down to us, did. And he saw us in that sad state, and he sees us still so often in that sad state, and he tends to our wounds. And he meets us where we fear being meaningless, and he says, your life has such deep and eternal meaning. He sees where we feel without purpose, and he says, oh, I have a purpose for you and even a plan. He sees us robbed and stripped of our dignity and he says, I want to restore that dignity to its full glory because the glory of God is man fully alive. And he wants us to be fully alive. So he's tended to us. Now what is our response? Too often, it's to forget about spreading the good news. It's to not follow his example of bringing people to the Father, but instead thinking, ah, as long as I'm not an axe murderer, I'm doing okay. 
right? I haven't killed anyone recently, so, you know, we're fine. It's all about just doing good. No, it's all about being so in communion with God, who is goodness himself, that you cannot help but bring more people to him. Why are we not so bold in proclaiming that Jesus Christ is Lord, that he has come to save us from our sins, from the meaningless of existence without him? I confess to you, I am not bold enough with that. When you put a microphone in front of me in a group of people that I could presume already agree with me, yeah, I'll preach till the cows come home. But put me on a plane flight next to someone who says I used to be a Catholic, and instead of saying, used to be, that's so sad, what happened? Can we bring you back? Jesus wants to be in communion with you through the sacraments. I just say, oh, that, that, that's, that's nice, I'll, I'll have a ginger ale. I just kind of leave it at that because, you know, you don't want an awkward conversation. You're going to be with them for the next two hours. Uh, Maybe I'll say a little prayer for them, but I'm not going to talk about religion. How often is that us? And in doing so, we leave the robber's victim laying there. Helpless. Friends, the Good Samaritan parable, it's less about meeting people's material needs, even though it's also about that. And it's more about meeting them in their spiritual poverty, their starvation for truth, and trying to bring them to the only one for whom their heart's deepest longing is for. It is to be able to have the courage in that moment to say, I might not have all the answers, but I know the way, the truth, and the life. I know it's Jesus Christ. I know that He is Lord. I know that he loves you, and I know that your heart yearns for him. It's to be able to have the humility to enter into that conversation knowing full well at some point they're going to ask you a question you don't know how to answer. And you're going to have to say, you know, I don't, I don't know the right way to answer that right now, but can we talk in a week? Because I, I, I'd love to like, look into this and be able to talk more about this. But instead, we, at the moment that it's about to be an awkward conversation, say, Ooh, sorry, your eternal salvation's not worth it. I just want comfort right now. I want to make sure my reputation's still good in your eyes. I don't want you to think that I'm crazy by saying something as groundbreaking as Jesus Christ is Lord. And he is the one way, truth, and the life for your salvation. No, no, no. Instead, I'm just going to say, like, Oh, yeah, let's talk about sports. Or maybe the weather, maybe politics, maybe even, maybe even politics is less awkward than religion. And we've lost that evangelizing spirit. We've allowed humanity to fall victim to robbers. Robbers who, and I mean the culture of death that surrounds us, have been going directly against the Creator in so many different ways. Our culture has rejected the beauty and order of God's creation in ways more than we can list in one homily. People are suffering. They think that they have zero dignity, zero meaning, and we just kind of let them sit in that because we don't want to talk about Jesus. So how do we fix that? Well, we ask his grace. We ask his help. Because on our own, we're not going to be able to do it. We'll never muster up the courage to be able to bring someone to the only one for whom their hearts deeply long. But with his grace, we can do incredible things. With his grace, we can lead someone to meet the one for whom they were made. And how do we receive that grace? Well, Moses said something beautiful in the first reading. 
He said that the law of God, the command that God enjoined upon Israel was not distant. It was not something that you had to search far and wide to find. No, rather, it is something very near to you, already in your mouths and in your hearts. And that word from the Lord, prefigured in the Old Testament, was made flesh in the new. That eternal word of God, that son of the heavenly father, was made flesh, was made blood, was made sacrament for love of you. You receive him in your mouths. You keep him in your heart. And you realize he's there with you in that moment when somebody needs to meet Jesus. May you be faithful instruments in being a point of encounter with the living God. Because hearts are crying out for that encounter. And they might be able to meet Jesus whenever they meet you.